So glad to have back on the program Jay Rosen, professor of journalism at New York University. Pressthink.org is his website. And he critiques the media and coverage of the media. And on Twitter, he does that masterfully at jrosen underscore nyu. And we have a lot to get into. Jay Rosen, welcome back to the story, to the show. <laughs> thanks for having me. And thanks for those kind things you said about my work. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And let, let's jump right in and, and talk about Twitter, yeah. uh, because it's a place where you do a lot of your work. I do a lot of work. A lot of us do a lot of connecting. And of course, it's been a place of turmoil and uh, chaos. And there's been a big question. What is Elon Musk doing of uh, these various moves and, and, and these seemingly just totally erratic actions and there are people who say oh well this guy is you know playing three-dimensional chess and and when you try to break it down he, he's not you asked a question of people who follow you in terms of why he's berating advertisers who he needs right why would he be doing mm -hmm. this and you got a lot of different answers tell us a little bit about that and what your thoughts are well there seem to be um three schools i guess of of thought on it um before i get into them i have to say i find it very difficult to understand and i don't mind saying publicly that i don't get it um and uh a lot of the people who follow me uh have a kind of an opposite impulse uh where they start with it's not that complicated and it's no it's not 3d chess and um you're making it too hard and you're overthinking it um and it's it's one of the amusing things about twitter is they're not really addressing me so much when they say that they're addressing like imaginary others or even maybe that whole tendency in themselves but there's sort of three areas of explanation one is that he's in over his head he's always been incompetent um but he never had to show it as much because in his other companies he had like layers of people who were real managers in between him and the front line so to speak um and he's dug himself deep by overpaying and he's just flailing around and showing how incompetent he is so that's that's one school of thought a second is this is this is a political project he's engaged in he's become uh an ideologue or maybe he always was and he's got a political agenda and it may it might even extend to helping uh foreign governments who knows but he's certainly become uh a a right-wing figure who is listening to the, some of the worst people in the culture war politics and taking action on their long-held assumptions so a political project that's the second school mm -hmm. of thought the third school of thought is yeah he made a really bad deal for reasons of ego or just plain stupidity um and he's trying to get out of it and his current way of getting out of it is to run down the property uh and sort of disassemble it in public so drastically that the debt that uh twitter has 13 billion dollars um is uh reduced to to something so um worthless that he can buy it for really cheap um and then prevent um somebody the bankers from foreclosing 
on the property and getting and driving it into bankruptcy. And so he's willing to do whatever it takes to get the price of that debt down low enough where he can just buy it and be mm-hmm. free of these curse of the bankers that he brought on himself. Um, so I don't know which of those things make sense in a way that could all make sense together. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, but the one constant in all of them is a great deal of confusion is generated. And maybe that's a, a, like a fourth thing, you know, like the modern or contemporary forms of propaganda don't really involve um, persuasion so much or persuading people of false ideas as they do just creating so much chaos and ugliness that you simply exit from the public square. That That's like the, the, the contemporary approach to propaganda. So maybe he's just doing that for reasons unknown. Well, and we've seen reports that um, right-wing figures, conservative figures have gained uh, many more followers through this chaotic process, while um, those who are on the left or progressives or political uh, figures who are democratic have lost uh, many followers. I know I've lost thousands of followers, and I know a lot of people left, and that and we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, and maybe those others who are being brought on are bots is some of the idea. I mean, what is your thought on what's happening in terms of the makeup of, of, of Twitter itself? Well, I know I've lost over 5,000 followers for sure. Um, of course, don't know why. Um, but it, it does seem to be that the right wing is kind of resurgent. I have no idea uh, whether bots are involved or whether there's anything to the, the charges that you um, outlined. Um, but in many different ways, basically nonstop throughout the day, um, the new owner of Twitter is signaling his uh, his own his membership in the online right wing universe, and he is agreeing with almost every proposition put forward. His own standards of verification, meaning how much does he care whether what he's saying is true are Trump level, which is shocking in itself. Um, And there's no question that he is trying to participate in the right wing universe and make it sort of the starting point or standard for discussion of politics on Twitter. Um, It doesn't mean that everybody who's, who's in liberal or left or in the center, if there is a center, can't do what they've always done. Most of them can. Almost everybody can still say what they want to say unless you directly attack Elon Musk, in which he's probably going to um, uh, prevent you from doing that again. Uh, so uh, I don't really have any way of knowing whether the right wing is getting a kind of um, untoward boost, uh, but it wouldn't be surprising in this environment. A lot of people, as I said, seem to have gone, although a lot of people have set up shop elsewhere while they keep uh, their Twitter account. I know I have. Mastodon is a place people are going to. Yes. And uh, Post is another one that's kind of very popular right now. There, there are others, but it seems like those two. Talk a little bit about those alternatives and... In particular, Post, um, which is using micropayments to have people mm-hmm. 
um, I guess, to pay for it by having people paying creators, people who put things on the site that you know they've worked on or paying media companies for stories if they don't have a subscription they could buy a story for 5 cents you've talked about how that's something maybe problematic so talk about that and 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 some of the other alternatives well mastodon and post are very different divergent uh, alternatives mastodon is an open source project um it's very non-commercial there is zero advertising on the site and it's um, called a federation because um, each community of people on Mastodon um, runs on a server organized by a different group of people. Um, and each community around these servers, as they're called, can to some degree adopt the rules that they want to live under, which is important because content moderation, as we've seen again and again, is just a huge factor in online discussion and social media um and so mastodon is is created in part to adjust for some of the what some people consider the weaknesses of twitter so for example you can't use the method of a quote tweet there's no quote tweet function that's really easy to use in mastodon um that one actually bothers me because i find the quote tweet um, function to be very useful for a press critic because I can show you what I'm talking about and then comment on it above it. And it's like a great form for me. So that kind of bothers me, but I'm on Mastodon and I've had some success in gaining a, an audience there in relatively short amount of time and I'm using it, um, but I don't use it the same way as I do uh, Twitter. It's a little bit different the community is a little bit different uh post is a different thing entirely first of all it's a business it's backed uh by mark andreessen and his um vc firm in the valley um it's very much a silicon valley type uh product um and it bears some resemblance to twitter but there are differences one of the differences is there's no character limit which means you could attach a manifesto of thousands of words or a single sentence. And I'm not sure how well that's gonna uh, work out. Um, but the main thing that's of interest currently in, in what we know about Post, there's probably a lot we don't know because it's early in its uh, life and it's it's not really even a beta version yet, it's sort of pre-beta version. Uh, and I am on Post and I've been starting to use it. Um, but the part that is drawn the most attention is the uh intention to um use micro payments to generate a kind of a business model for publishers of news and other kinds of creators like the people on substack and and others um and micro payments in which for example you might click on a link and and find a wall street journal story and then ask if you want to pay 50 cents or a dollar uh, to read this story have a long history online as, and it has very rarely worked despite the kind of logic there is to it. And the logic is apparent to anybody who's been frustrated by seeing an enticing headline in their social media feeds to let's say the Atlanta Journal Constitution reporting on the election in Georgia. Um, and you click on the link and you realize that you're being asked to subscribe 
to a publisher who you may not visit again for the entire year. And it doesn't make any sense to subscribe, but it doesn't make any sense to tell the Atlanta Journal-Constitution you can't put up a paywall either if that's become their main uh, business model. And so micropayments appear to solve that problem. Um, but they have a lot of problems of their own. Uh, for example, a micropayment system that has a handful, four or five news publishers on it is not very valuable because it's only four or five uh, publishers and, and you may not be interested in the news they publish. Um, and so you have a networks effect going on here where unless there's a lot of publishers able to offer you their articles for pennies, it's not really that valuable, uh, but it's very difficult to get news publishers to agree on anything, that their record for sort of banding together um, and making it easier for the user is terrible. And a lot, if you ask people why micropayments have not really worked in news, um, they give you all kinds of answers that make, that make sense. For example, you have to advertise that you have this. And sometimes the expense of marketing in it is greater than the revenue that you get. Um, and they don't want to cannibalize their subscriptions because mm -hmm. for the New York Times, let's say, and Wall Street Journal, digital subscriptions are the primary business model now. Um, and if you start talking about micropayments, it seems like you're going to erode the one working business model that they have that's really been growing um, and so maybe the uh, post uh, uh, startup will solve these problems that have always been there with micropayments. But if so, we don't know what they have that's different from all of the failures in the mm -hmm. past yet. I I really appreciate all of that discussion there because I think a lot of people have been wondering about this and it's sort of a to-be-determined uh, place, but they needed a lot of the details. Uh, we just have a couple of minutes, but I, I wanted to get into some of the media coverage um, discussion of politics and, and certainly what you uh, discuss um, in, in terms of how media, political media addresses issues. And in particular, um, here we had, you know, after this non-red wave, which a lot of the media told us there was going to be a red wave, there was then this idea put out there that Republicans were going to change and this and that. And then we saw Donald Trump meet with a white supremacist and uh, Republicans didn't change. And, 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 and I also didn't see the media kind of really blow this up. I wanted to get your thoughts on sort of where we are right now. Well, um, the press has had years to uh, anticipate this moment where um, Trump declared that he would again be a candidate. Um, and I don't know that it's come to any conclusions about how to handle this candidate because we know who he is now, but we also know that he is at war with American democracy and the system by which we have elections in this country. And so if he continues as a candidate for president and he wins the nomination, which is still the most likely event, even though it's less likely it appears than it was, 
Um, you're going to have one normal candidate, wh whoever the Democrats uh, put up, it looks like it probably be Biden, and one candidate that's attacking the system that both the candidates and the journalists are working within. And this problem and that uh, likelihood was um, talked about um, uh, by um, well, the Washington Bureau chief of ABC News. And um, everybody in journalism knows that this uh, this is coming. But right now, right. they're going to go into the battle with the same tools that they've always had. And that's the part of it that I'm taking a close look at and watching uh, over the next few months. Well, I, I would like to speak to you further about uh, all of that and, and certainly as you um, see it play out. I really appreciate your coming on and uh, talking to us. Uh, it's been a while and uh, look forward to having you back again soon. Okay. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jay Rosen, media analyst, professor at NYU. Uh, Pressthink.org is his website and you can follow him on Twitter at J Rosen underscore NYU.